Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Friday, March 9th, and we're talking Spotify. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined on Skype by senior tech specialist, Evan New. Evan, I think this is going to be a good one. Not only is this a hotly anticipated stock listing, but this is a company that we both know pretty well. Yeah, it's been a busy couple of weeks, all these IPO filings. I think the Spotify one's going to be a little bit more interesting than the Dropbox one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm a Spotify user. I think you are a Spotify user as well, right? I am. I actually recently switched to Spotify. I switched my entire family um, from away from Apple Music to Spotify, which is notable because I'm a big Apple guy, so I have Apple everything. <laughs> But it was, you know, very specifically, we started buying you know Amazon Echo devices and started getting some more of these you know Alexa devices and and Apple Music's just not supported and Spotify is and so that that really was kind of the catalyst for us to switch. But we're we're pretty happy with it. And and I think with me being an individual account user and you having a family plan uh, and me formerly having been a free user of Spotify, we kind of cover all the bases for different user types that this company has. Um, so this is this is a company we know well. Uh, they're the leader in the music streaming space. Um, we probably have some listeners that are not super familiar with them, though. What does their service look like? So Spotify um, it was really kind of the the first big premium um, on demand music streaming service. Um, the big difference between Pandora and Spotify historically was that Pandora was wasn't on demand. It was you know you set a radio station and it, it kind of you don't pick what you listen to. Uh, but Spotify was one of the first companies to really offer an on demand service where you pick specifically what song you want to listen to and then you, you get it. Uh, so they were kind of the first mover in that space and you know they direct inked a lot of direct licenses with the record labels to to offer this service. So I think that's really helped them kind of grow to the place they are now, which is the number number one uh, service in the world. And in some ways, they've kind of benefited from some of the other players in that space moving slowly. You know, you think about Apple, a company that revolutionized the way that people consume songs and being able to buy them individually, create their own playlists. That seemed like a space that was ripe for them, and yet they waited on creating their own streaming option. That's allowed Spotify to get a huge lead in their overall user counts. Right, and and you know just to bring Pandora back, Pandora didn't actually start. I mean, Pandora now has an on-demand service, but they didn't. Uh, they only launched that in, you know a couple years ago in 2015 or 2016. I think it was 2016. So I mean, they were very late. So yeah, that that first mover advantage was huge. I think in in this context. And so looking at their user base, um, they have that ad-supported model, like you mentioned, and it's exactly what it sounds like. Free access, you can choose songs, but you hear ads too. They have some limited uh, mobile functionality with that ad-supported system. Uh, on the premium side, you get rid of your ads, you have offline uh, listening for mobile devices, and you can get full control of your listening experience there. Um, their plans run from $9.99 a month for individuals up to $14.99 for family accounts, and they have student plans for $4.99 a month. Um, those are all dollar denominated. I think a a point of order for the rest of the show is uh, Spotify's financials are stated in euros. So going forward, unless we say otherwise, we're talking euros, not dollars. Um, and for some context, currently one euro is worth roughly one point two three dollars. So I thought that might be helpful background and a good disclaimer to get out there before we get into the financial metrics discussion of the show. Yeah, you always got to remember what currency you're talking about. <laughs> Before we get to currency, why don't we talk a little bit about some of the core business metrics, though? Uh, I think MAUs is probably one of the easiest places to start. Sure. So that right now they have 159 million monthly active users, uh, of which 71 million are premium paid subscribers subscribing to any of the plans that you just mentioned above. 
And uh, that that rate is actually higher than it was a couple of years ago. You go back to 2015, I think it was like 30% were premium, and now we're seeing about 44%. Um, some of that, I think, is the popularity of the premium offering. Some of that is kind of how they calculate that premium number. That's something that we're actually going to hit on in a minute or two. Um, something that's kind of incredible to me, Evan, looking at the the breakouts of their different user types is up until 2017, Spotify was actually losing money on their ad supported customers. Yeah, I mean that's that's pretty standard to considering this the industry that we're talking about. I mean, music streaming is notoriously a really you know tough an industry that has really tough economics. And I mean, Spotify because they've had these direct licenses with the record labels for many years. Um, those costs are higher than what a company like Pandora faces because Pandora uses statutory licenses as a way to minimize their their costs. But since Spotify has direct licenses, which they've also recently negotiated, which we'll talk about later on. Um, but yeah, the, the costs are just huge. And then when you're trying to monetize the service with ads, it's just it's not a good experience for the users because you know listening to ads constantly is just really kind of obtrusive, uh, and at the same time you're not really making a lot of money either. So it's just not really a great solution for anyone. <laughs> there have been times where I've been at someone's house and we've been hanging out, like cooking dinner or something like that, and uh, you know we've been listening to Spotify on their account, and you immediately know when it's a free account when you're like you're listening to like two or three songs, and, and then all of a sudden you're blasted with an ad for something that has nothing to do with the music you were just listening to. Uh, so like tire, <laughs> tires, tires, <laughs> just like random. Yeah, it's it's certainly a different user experience, and when you think about that price point of ten dollars a month, um, it's a pretty compelling offering given how big their library is. Um, one of the other metrics, uh, and this one might have people scratching their head a little bit with Spotify, is premium ARPU. And this is something that's actually trending down for them. It, it kind of helps to look at the mechanics of how these numbers are calculated, though. In 2015, we saw six euro, just under seven euros a month for ARPU. 2017, we're at just over five euros per month. Um, and I think that this calculation, as well as some of the user growth that we talked about earlier, are kind of classic examples of why it's good to read the prospectus and read company conference calls, because you get the explanation of how these numbers are calculated and what is going on with these metrics. Right. So, you know, certainly a lot of these bundled plans have you know, helped them really grow their premium subscriber base, particularly these family plans, because you know, each any person that's a part of a family plan is included as a separate uh, premium user. Yeah, so uh, they might have one family plan, but three, I think even up to six people on the account, which would all count as premium users for them. So that might be something that warps a ARPU number just because you have more users in that denominator. Um, and that's something that management has been super open about and talked about plenty in the prospectus. Uh, one number that is maybe most impressive to me in the prospectus is their their churn. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's obvious to me that Spotify has put together a business that people love and people are not leaving. Right. So, I mean, I think that you know they they put on some really good increases or uh, improvements with bringing churn down, which really helps their retention numbers. And these are all related because in in the in the in the Statement. And finally, they they note that while ARPU has come down as a result of them introducing these other products like family plans and student discounts, uh, you know the natural effect is that ARPU is going to come down a little bit. But the the upside is not only are they helping grow their service because they're getting more people in, they're they're really um, the retention of those products is really high. So overall, those products are helping them improve retention across premium overall. And I mean, if you think about it. 
you know, thinking about like, like your self, cell phone family plan, those, the retention for those are really high too because it's a pain. It just raises switching costs if you're trying to switch everyone over from one service to another. But unlike cell plans, which are still mostly commoditized, Spotify is heavily personalized. So each person has their own very personal account. That, you know, the more you use it, the more it knows you, the more personalized it is, and the more entrenched you become with it over time because it just understands your musical preferences. Now multiply that by four or six people in your entire family, and now it's a huge cost to switch an entire family plan to a completely different music streaming service that you have to get to know completely again. you got to retrain their algorithms and all that stuff. So I think it is good for the business in that sense because it does bring down ARPA a little bit, but I think it's well worth the, the benefit of, of higher retention. Yeah, it keeps things sticky. And when you're talking about a product that costs $15 a month, uh, you'd have to be saving a lot of money to overcome all of the painful switching costs you mentioned. Uh, if you want that actual churn figure, it was 5.5% in 2017, down from 7.7% in 2015, so less people are canceling relative to the overall number of premium subscribers out there. Um, Evan, looking over at the financials, I, I think the first place you start here at the top line, and, and the growth has been pretty strong there. The company pulled in 4.1 billion euros in 2017, which is up 39% year over year. And when you look at the breakouts, it's pretty clear this company is reliant on the premium side of their business for most of their top line. Right. So premium subscriptions represent about 90% of revenue, which you know is pretty telling because it, it's it's you know if we looked at that that user base breakdown, you know 71 out of 160 million. So you know it's less than half, but they're carrying 90% of revenue. <laughs> Uh, and and something kind of encouraging also in the financials is you look at what's going on with gross margin. Uh, it's currently at twenty one percent, up from twelve percent two years ago. Uh, some of that is that mix of profitability we're talking about, where even though uh, most of the money was being made uh, off of premium users, the fact that free users were losing money for the business uh, obviously weighed on what was going on on the gross margin side. Now that they are gross margin positive uh, on the free side, that's obviously going to help a little bit too. Right, and I mean the the record label, the, the royalty cost of the record label is, re- is really the big piece that we're talking about here because that that was about eighty percent of revenue in twenty seventeen. So these costs are enormous, which is really tough to to kind of squeeze out any type of profitability because you don't have a whole lot of money left over to cover all your operating expenses. Yeah, even for that increase in gross margin that we're seeing. Uh, that still means that licensing costs and royalty payments are eating up about 80% of the top line. Uh, so that means that a lot of the cost savings, even as they renegotiate deals and get more favorable terms, aren't really coming down to the bottom line because as a percentage of sales, you look at their research and development costs, their sales and marketing, their general expenses, all of those were up in 2017. Right. So that's what's so hard about this industry is that. You know the cost structures are just not very favorable to these services, whereas the record labels are able to, you know, they have a very strong bargaining position in there. Yeah, and and trying to paint a picture for what profitability might look like for this business is kind of tough. Um, you know, we, we saw an operating loss for them in 2017, and then on top of that, they had a huge line item hit with their finance costs, which took them even further into the red and took them to 1.2 billion in losses for 2017. And most of that is related to this very complex structure of the company's debt and convertible notes. Evan, you have some experience with that. Do you want to try to give like a quick explanation there? Right, without getting too deep into it, um, I would say that it, well, it's important to note that 
those finance costs, which I think were about 970 some odd million euros last year, uh, that's a non-cash charge that is primarily related to the change in fair market value of these convertible notes they've issued a couple years ago. So they raised some debt in 2016 and issued these notes. As the value of these notes fluctuates, which is also a function of their private market share price, which more than doubled last year, then that increases the cost associated with these notes, the interest costs associated with these notes. But these are non-cash charges, so it's not like Spotify is paying at this much in cash. But it is an expense that they have to recognize for the purpose of gap accounting, right? Correct. Well, technically, um, uh, Spotify is an IFRS, International Financial Reporting Standards. Oh, so you're right, you're interna- right. International version of GAAP, but a uh, different standard. But yeah, it, so it is um, on an IFRS basis, yes, they do have to account for it. Yeah, and, and so when you look at everything that's going on with them as a business, it's kind of hard to suss out, okay, well, how much of this is a permanent expense that is kind of the steady state of what's going to be the future for them, how much of this is tied to the capital structure that they have chosen with these convertible notes. You know, We talked about how margins are only going to give them so much money to work with and how much is really going to come down to the bottom line there. Um, the financing is going to be kind of an ongoing question with this business. Um, and, and Evan, I know that we didn't want to spend too much time talking about this on the podcast because it really doesn't lend itself to good audio. But you're planning on putting a piece together, kind of explaining what's going on with Spotify's convertible debt, right? Well, I'm going to take a deeper look at their capital structure, and specifically the. I mean, the big piece of it is really this, this debt financing and convertible note structure. And depending on how they handle that over the next couple of years, that might be something that either weighs on profitability or makes things a little bit easier. Of course, there are a lot of other moving parts there as that disappears as a line item. So that's all to say, listeners. If <laughs> once Evan gets that piece out, if you're interested in this, write into the show, and we'll be sure to send it out. Um, and on that note, actually, knowing that we were going to be chatting Spotify, we asked folks on Twitter if they wanted to hear anything in particular in the discussion. And we have a few listener questions about the company and this issuance. Uh, Casey asks where they plan to deploy the money raised from the offering, and is it an exit strategy for initial private investors? And I think that this is a good point to address because there might be some confusion about what's going on with this issuance, Evan. Right. So, Spotify in this direct listing, they are not issuing any shares whatsoever. So, they will not be receiving any capital or not be receiving any proceeds. Uh, so, they're not even using the proceeds since they're not getting any of it. I mean, I would say, kind of generally speaking, remember that in IP, in traditional IPOs, which this is not a traditional IPO, in most IPOs, it's kind of a mix of both most of the time. Most of the time, a lot of initial private investors, including insiders, co-founders, et cetera. Uh, it is partially an exit strategy, a way to give them, let them get a payday, but also you know, raise money for the company itself. You, that's how most IPOs are structured. Uh, so in this case, for Spotify, this direct listing, it is primarily an exit strategy for uh, initial private investors. Uh, Austin asks, and this is listener Austin, not our producer Austin, uh, he wrote in and said, what's the long game for Spotify? It can't be their current model. And then Austin goes on to throw out a couple ideas. It could be leveraging data and machine learning, expanding on their personalized playlists, maybe even hyper-focused ads, possibly some sort of packaging with podcasts as an option. Evan, I know you have some thoughts on what this business could morph into and the optionality they have there. Right. So I'm not a huge fan of the cost structure as it is because those royalty costs are so astronomically high. I mean, 80% of revenue, how do you pay for things? It's just really hard to, to you know, envision being a profitable company. But, you know, an early Spotify investor, 
had mentioned in a recent interview that um, there's this idea that Spotify can basically create this marketplace that connects artists directly with listeners, which has this potential to cut out the record labels altogether because the record labels are, are basically just middlemen right there. And, and not, not to say like record labels are going to die or anything like that because they certainly have their place in this industry, particularly at the high end of, of the value chain with you know prominent artists. But you know if you think about little little guys, like little up-and-coming artists, if you can remove the middleman and just appeal directly to your users, you have a, a pretty good opportunity there to A, Spotify can cut out this huge cost. B, the you know, directly connecting artists and users has a lot of potential. And they are actually very specifically looking at some of the things that, that you know, Austin just mentioned because they are using machine learning because all of the curation algorithms that are meant for content discovery are all built on AI and machine learning. And at the same time, they're helping artists be able to target other users, not with ads, but you know, trying to find users that might like their own music. And they also deliver analytics to artists. Like they provide, and they're even starting to provide um, creative tools. So they're getting into this. They just started this new lab last year to create a bunch of, of tools artists can use to make their music. So if you look at this for, you know, from that perspective, I, I'm I'm seeing Spotify in the future having having this potential of being this kind of new modern digital distribution platform but streaming and you know really connect think of like youtube but for just for music so yeah youtube is, is another platform that you know got big by connecting people directly and providing all these different types of tools to help content creators build their businesses you get analytics you get all sorts of stuff so i think that's really exciting uh, and and they make some references to this in their filing but nothing really concrete yet and certainly nothing that's you know financially meaningful quite yet but you know if we stick a step back and zoom out you know five ten years in the future that that would have me excited yeah and and actually i think austin makes a very interesting point with the podcasts uh in kind of the, the last bullet there because you think about ad fulfillment for podcasts you know uh, a lot of organizations use some third party to handle that or they have an internal sales uh, staff that handles all that um I would think that Spotify would have pretty robust user data that would allow for hyper-targeted ads on podcasts on the platform. Um, you know, the the difficulty there is that they are not the sole distributor of podcasts, and that a lot of people get them through some third-party app or through Apple uh, Podcast app or something like that. But I think there might be something there too, um, where they work on the ad side uh, within audio advertising. Yeah, so I do think that you know, even though I'm not super thrilled about the financials right now, like. I do see a lot of potential for Spotify in the future as, as a really vibrant uh, distribution platform for artists, uh, and you know, it's the biggest one in the world. So, I mean, if you're an artist and you want to reach the biggest audience, that's where you go. And this kind of leads us into what I'd like to end this show talking about, which is kind of broadly, what do we see with Spotify's business right now? What are the risks that we're worried about? And um, maybe what are some of the opportunities? So we haven't talked too much about the competitive pressures, but one of the things that has me most worried about this company as it currently exists is there's not a lot of pricing power in the streaming music space, and there's also not a lot of cost control either. Right, and between the two of those, you get squeezed pretty hard because you know on the other, on one hand you have Apple Music, who's humongous, and Apple does not need to make any money on this, but they want to do it, and, and you know. Ten, 10 bucks a month is kind of like table stakes right now, but I wouldn't be surprised if you know going forward that comes down even further just through competition because like you said, I mean if it's commoditized enough, then these companies have to compete on price. 
I mean, I do think Spotify has other ways that they differentiate themselves because, you know, for example, they're ubiquitous. Like, they they're, they they have so many third-party integrations from gaming consoles to phones to cars to high-end audio receivers. I mean, Spotify is just literally everywhere. And it's also cross-platform. So, you know, whereas Apple is only targeting iOS and its own user base, Spotify targets everyone. So I think that there's, you know, and that scale really gives them the amount of user data that they need to be able to personalize these things and target these things that we were just talking about. So I do think that they have some advantages. Yeah, it's it's certainly a business that in five years could look a little different than it currently does. Um, for for the sake of people who currently own shares, I kind of hope it does because we've seen a lot of companies struggle to make it work in the music streaming space. I think Pandora is probably the biggest one. And you know, we talked about some of the um, more music industry relevant things that Spotify could do. Those are things Pandora tried to do. You know, they acquired Ticketfly and tried to, you know, kind of branch more into like the event marketing side and ticket fulfillment side of that business. And then they later divested those assets. Um, you know, that, that <laughs> didn't work out very well. <laughs> that could be Pandora's execution. Uh, that could be that simply tying those two worlds together is maybe a little bit more difficult than people give it credit for. But um, I certainly think that those options are there for Spotify. Right. So I think that you know there is some potential to really kind of expand this. I mean, yeah, like the ticket, the the ticket booking thing that Pandora. I think that was kind of a misguided effort to pivot into this other area that they thought they could make more money. Whereas they didn't even have their core music streaming business down very well. <laughs> so that was kind of a weird, weirdly time moved on Pandora's part. But you know, I, I do think that this idea of Spotify becoming a kind of more direct distribution platform uh, has a lot of potential and is much more you know directly related to its core competencies. And, and this is probably going to be one of the more fun companies to watch over the next three to five years for a variety of reasons. You know, we, we talk about the optionality they have with their business, but also this direct listing and it not being a capital raising event, but an opportunity for shareholders to have liquidity. Um, that is something that we haven't really seen for a business that has this much drummed up interest for it. So there, there's that. And then there's also the incredibly complex capital structure that they've chosen. So, so there are a lot of elements that make this uh, a super interesting story for 2018 and certainly you know, for the next couple of years beyond it, too. Oh, absolutely. There's a, there's a lot going on here. So it's going to be a lot to, a lot of angles to, to focus on if people are considering investing. And as we get closer to uh, the actual listing date and we get some more details, uh, we're definitely going to follow up with the show because this is something that is fairly new to a lot of people. And I, and I think, one, it's interesting, and two, it's a great opportunity to talk about a concept that people really aren't all that familiar with. Um, so look out for more shows on that. And like I said, uh, Evan's going to be writing that show on the capital structure or that piece on the capital structure. So if you want that, just write into the show. Uh, Evan, anything else before I let you go? No, I think we're good. All right. Um, I just want to give listeners a quick heads up about two things. Uh, so I'm going to be in Austin next week with Chris Hill, Dan Boyd, and a few other fools for South by Southwest. And uh, we've got a listener meetup plan for Monday the 12th. So if you're going to be in the area, shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com or you can tweet us at MF Industry Focus, and we'll make sure that you get all those details. Also, all of next week's shows are going to be tied to our time in Austin. Uh, we're planning on getting some cool interviews, uh, getting some dispatches on all the fresh tech and the new ideas that we're hearing at South by Southwest. I think Simon Erickson is going to be hopping on the healthcare show. So we're super excited about that. Um, so 
we have some fun stuff in store for you. Uh, if South by Southwest is not your shtick, uh, maybe a week to skip on the show. Um, but otherwise, that does it for this episode of Industry Focus. I mentioned our handles at MF Industry Focus and IndustryFocus at Fool.com. If you ever have any questions, shoot us an email over there, and we're happy to answer them and talk about them on the show. And if you want more of our stuff, you can subscribe on iTunes or check out the Fool's family of shows over at Fool.com slash podcasts. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Rick Engdahl for all his work behind the glass today. For Evan New, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. <laughs>